race and golf, two topics that rarely intersect when talking about relations in the United States in this current moment. But I think it needs to be discussed. I think it needs to be talked about because I believe that this game can bring people together because the game of golf is on a level playing field. This week, we have Damon Hack from Golf Channel's Morning Drive on with Cheyenne and I. And we talk about these very topics, the intersection of race and golf, and what we can do to make our nation a little bit better. We recorded this episode last Thursday, so things might have changed. So if they have, well, bear with us. It's still going to be the same episode. Enjoy. Welcome back to Birdies Not BS. Uh, Cheyenne and I have a very, very special guest with us today. We have uh, NBC Sports correspondent and host of Morning Drive, Damon Hack, with us today. Damon, welcome to Birdies Not BS. Doug, Cheyenne, what's going on? Uh, everything. Everything. <laughs> a lot. Yes. It's good to hear from you again, though, Damon. It was nice to have a conversation on Morning Drive and continue it here today. How has everything been for you the last week? It, it's been a whirlwind, you know, as... As both of you know, you, you appreciate the platform to be able to express yourself, but it's exhausting too. You know, these are such Absolutely. tough issues, um, complex issues, and uh, people expect you to have answers that, that you may not necessarily have, but I'm glad people are having conversations, even with the complexity. Now, Damon, tell me a little bit, because uh, to my knowledge, you're one of the few African-Americans that, that does on-air for golf not in the history of golf, but currently, do you feel like you can speak freely uh, amongst this climate right now as to how you feel? Or, and, and honestly, do you feel muted? Because I feel like I'm a bit muted. So I, I wanted to get your take on what you feel you can and can't say. Doug, I have felt muted, but in the last couple of weeks, I have felt a burden lifted. I wrote a column for golfchannel.com explaining the complexities of being so thankful and grateful for your, your job and your role on television, but also just devastated in seeing the country continue to make the mistakes that it's made over and over again. And I was at the dinner table with my family and talking to my soon to be nine year old triplets about these issues of the day. And I, it just struck me. I'm like, here I am 48 years of age and I'm telling them stories that my dad told me and his grandfather, my grandfather, his dad told him. Yeah, it's like it's not changed. Really, really, it just hit me. It hit me hard, you guys. And and I had to write, so I wrote and I and I expressed myself. And and as someone who used to cover the game for the Times and for SI, I felt comfortable writing and putting my words on paper. And it has, it's it's definitely kind of lifted a cloud a little bit. And and I hope that. Because of this article I wrote, I'll be able to continue to express myself the way I want to express myself. Now, golf as a sport and an industry is and has been a majority white environment. What responsibility do you feel, if any, to have your voice and share your voice and share your own experiences? I, I think I do have a role. It's important. I can't tell you how many times I've met African-American men and women who love golf. And, and they're like, thank you. It's so nice to see you. It's nice to meet you. You represent us. It means a lot. And, and that's, that's a wonderful feeling for me. I'm sure you, you both know of, of what I speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that I'd like to see, obviously, more African-Americans in golf, on Golf Channel, um, you know, sharing that, that, that load, as it were. Um, 
And I do think that golf, with all the strides that have been made, still there's a lot that the golf industry can do. Outreach, um, asking tough questions, and also not just leaving it to African Americans to figure Mm -hmm. this out. Right. Um, I have said this is not a black problem. This is an American problem. And I think uh, it's going to take collective and sometimes uncomfortable uh, conversations to make some real systemic change. And what are you seeing at Golf Channel? Do you, are you, do you feel like uh, you're, you're moving pieces around a chessboard when it's coming to communicate with your colleagues and producers and, and, and from the, the powers that be there? Um, do you feel like they've put you in a position where they, they want you to speak freely or do you feel like they've put you in a position where you still have to play this chess game with your words? I, I feel much more optimistic and thankful that the channel is letting me be me. And I have received overwhelming support for asking tough questions, writing a column and saying, can I be both grateful and frustrated and you know, blessed and beaten down. And I, I was a little bit surprised that they let me kind of ask these questions. These are uncomfortable questions. You know, some people might say, Hey, what do you got to be complaining about? You're on TV, dude. And I'm like, Hey, you know, you don't know my backstory. You don't know that I've been frisked in front of my own home. You'll know that I've been pulled over, um, for no reason, not speeding, not breaking any law, asked if I had drugs or weapons in my car. So I wanted to share my truth. And I am thankful that the folks at the channel at golf channel NBC have been supportive and let me speak my truth. And I was told guys, like it's been about seven, eight years since I've been on morning drive that I had to be myself. And in the last two weeks I've had trouble being myself Mm -hmm. without being able to express my frustration about the uh, current events of our nation. It's definitely been emotional. And like you said, it is complex and feeling grateful, but saddened and just, you know, disappointed. And this is a cycle again, like you and I kind of spoke about the other day. Have you been surprised by the support that you've had within the golf industry and especially, you know, golfers, non-black golfers reaching out and posting and showing support? Has that surprised you at all? Or how have you felt with seeing that? It has. It surprised me because I feel like there could have been a reaction of, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not the problem here. But I do think the time for kind of comfortable naivety is over. And and I think that I sense that from others. And to hear from people with the USGA, I've heard from people with the PGA of America, the PGA Tour, from my own shop, what can I do to help? I want to be a part of the solution. And that really gives me some hope. This feels like a watershed moment in our nation. It feels different. Um, we've had the stories of Emmett Till and Amadou Diallo. It, uh, it's, it's, we, we can't keep repeating these same mistakes. And I feel like we're going to have some, some allies that maybe we didn't expect to have. Did you get a chance to see the statement and sentiments from Seth Waugh and Susie Whaley of the PGA of America? That was Susie's statement was probably one of the more interesting things I I got to read. And the most impactful piece was, and I've always said this, I feel like golf, golf needs to acknowledge its past, you know, Mm. the blacks or the whites only clauses to the late sixties in golf and, and the struggles of, of guys having to play on the chitlet circuit and having not having a chance and an opportunity to really play at a high level on the PGA tour and, and, and seeing Susie and, you know, Susie and just Mm -hmm. having her and a representative from the PGA of America, make a statement acknowledging golf's past 
and preparing for golf's future, it, it steered something up in me. And, mm-hmm. you know, to your earlier point with the players and the outreach, I actually have felt rejuvenated a bit in my blackness as a golfer. And I don't know if mm-hmm. you felt that, Cheyenne, or you, Damon, but I'm excited to be the black guy at the golf course right now. Mm. That's, that's so well said. I, I think there's, there's something beautiful about that. And I think there's something real to that sentiment. And I do think that uh, judging from what you just described, judging from what I've heard, we don't necessarily know the answers and the people I've talked to don't know the answers, but they're searching for solutions, whether it's donating money to historically black colleges or supporting black businesses or finding out if local police have body camps. I mean, you can get as detailed as you want or go big picture as you want. But I do think that people realize that we have to kind of shake the roots of this country and, and really make some, some, some drastic changes. Now, the golf industry is always looking to grow the game and reach out to minorities and uh, have that bit of influence. How do you feel golf has done up until this point in actually accomplishing that um, and having an impact on the growth of the game within the minority uh, community? I think it's done a, a good job. I feel like there's, there's more room to grow. I, right. I don't know if the methods have been sustainable enough. I still feel, and I've said this, that I imagine to an inner city African-American boy or girl, golf must be like a foreign language or something on the moon. <laughs> Absolutely. How do, we, how do we close that gap? How do we shorten that, that walk, that, that you know, mile or five miles or 100 miles walk? Mm-hmm. I mean, there are uh, the benefits. And I have to tell you guys, being outside, being in nature, uh, challenging yourself, listening to birds, being with trees and streams yeah. and rivers and green space. It's good for the soul. I mean, there's, yeah. there's so many beautiful things about this game. And I think for an urban child to, to be exposed to those things is so crucial. Um, but the game's expensive. It's hard. And I still think it's unrelatable to many in the inner city. So I don't know how you find that kind of meeting point to make that 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 long walk a little bit shorter so you have more diversity and longer lasting diversity in the game. Damon, along those lines, you know, in your stature within golf, uh, within the game and the visibility that you have, do you feel like you you have to carry this this black banner and wave this support for minorities in the game? Uh, people look at you. People see you every day. I mean, you are one of the more welcomed into home people in, in the industry. Um, and I just wanted to know kind of when you when you stop and you think about, you know, these these race hurdles that we have to overcome, where do you fall from your vantage in that? I mean, it's, it's interesting. I, I went to UCLA for college, Berkeley for graduate school. Uh, I've worked at the Sacramento Bee, Newsday, the New York Times, Sports Illustrated, have been one of a few blacks, sometimes the only. It's not that new. Um, so I, I'm, I'm used to it. I don't always like being the only or one of the few, but I, I I feel like I'm getting to a point in my life and maybe it's because I'm having, I have kids and I want them to be proud of who they are and their heritage. And, you know, my wife's from Hong Kong. So we have a, a biracial, modern Obama baby type family. You might call it. <laughs> oh, That's right. so I, I want them to be proud of their African-American heritage, their Chinese heritage. And 
and for me, I, I, I'm always, I've been boldened, I'm optimistic when a complete stranger, 55-year-old who could remind me of my uncle comes up to me, 60-year-old, say, hey, man, it's, it's so nice to meet you, so nice to see you. I mean, that keeps me going. It can, yeah. be, it can happen once every five months. And it's like, man, just being on the screen makes a difference. Even if I'm not talking about civil rights or racial issues, I feel like just my presence in the game is good. So I'll have my moments of peak and like, oh, why, why am I the only one? But I still, I'd rather be the only one than, than mm-hmm. not, not have any at no all. one. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I, that, I think Cheyenne and I both know how that feels to a certain degree. I was the only black guy in my high school for three years after transferring to uh, Lexington Christian Academy. So I've seen, I've run the gamut personally on, on being the guy that to, to, to hold the black flag up. And I've also yeah. had to be the guy sometimes to put the black flag down because I was outnumbered. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you don't want to grab the wrong flag, right? I right, mean, right, right. <laughs> right. I think that's, again, one of the complex emotions that at least I'm feeling of, yes, I'm very proud to be black. Yes, I'm very proud to be able to represent a female black golfer in the, in the LPGA and the golf industry. But during, you know, the last few weeks, as you mentioned, it has been exhausting. Um, and I think mm. that's a responsibility that we don't necessarily, I don't think we should have, but in this time, it is so important to, to share your experiences, to share yeah. what you know, and to hopefully just let people in on, you know, those conversations and that perspective that you have, because we are very few in this industry. And if they are able yeah. to connect with us, it's just, it's so important, especially right now when people are open to listening. Along those lines, Shai, and I had a question that I'm going to actually pose to both of you real quick is, you know, we always talk about how, you know, words and they speak volumes, right? But I think for one of the few times in history, silence is speaking volumes. Are you as active as I am? And I will admit this out loud in front of people. I am paying attention to who is not saying anything, who is not being supportive, because Right now, silence is destructive to me. Uh, I want to be heard. I want people to be heard. I want to hear people. Are you seeing folks um, stepping up or making statements that, you, that you're proud of? Or are you also seeing those folks where it's like, well, damn, where are you at? Mm, that's a, that, I, I do hear what you say. I, I'm, I'm more of the, in this situation, I feel like we're hearing from people we haven't normally heard from. Michael Jordan Tiger uh, is speaking out. You know, we've seen, gosh, Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. I, I, did you see Ben and Jerry's? That was so powerful. That. It was so powerful. I it was one it was of the Malcolm better statements. Malcolm said, return from the dead. I mean, it, it, this yeah. was a strong, strong statement about 1619 and, and, and the first slaves arriving to these shores. And it was just so, it was so powerful and moving. So, I, I, I just get the sense that more people are speaking. I'm not paying too much attention to those who aren't. Maybe I should. That could be naivety on my part. It could be uh, maybe too optimistic. I'm, <laughs> I'm happy that some of the biggest stars in sports, um, some of the biggest industries, in uh, and, and my own personal interaction with some movers and shakers in our business, I, I just feel like this moment is different in that it really could, it could lead to lasting change. That, that's going to be hard. I mean, this is as y'all know, this is a decades and centuries old issue Mm -hmm. and it's not going to be solved in a week, in a month, in a year. But I, I just feel like this is a moment where people are really tired and trying to, to make 
systemic lasting change. I How about agree. you, Shai? What, what, are, you, are you paying attention to, uh, what, are you, what are you noticing? Um, I mean, honestly, I'm torn on this issue because I do see a lot of people speaking out, like you said, that we have not heard from ever when it comes to political or social issues or anything, especially relating to race. Um, yeah. And I've had friends reach out, you know, just personally and texting to make sure I'm okay. How can they be an ally? And so I'm torn because I know everybody deals with things differently, whether it be private, public. But I do feel like in this moment, it's better to say something than nothing. Yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna solely judge somebody off of what they post on Instagram, but at the same right. time, like Doug said, silence does speak volumes right now. And this is a moment mm. and it is a day in, a day in our society of where social media is how we communicate. It's how we it's connect. It's powerful. It's super powerful. And that's a lot of how this movement is being created, uh, Instagram and Twitter. And so, no, I'm not going to judge you off of what you post on social media. But at the same time, that is the only way right now we can show support and connect and share information. So I'm definitely torn. And I, I am paying attention to my friends or people within mm. the industry who mm. post normally you know they post they're very active and during the last two weeks they've been real quiet um so it does it does make me question i'm going to give them time to process how they feel um how they want to react and uh, what they want to say but right now i am i'm i'm paying attention you know it's funny i've had a hard time personally with with people reaching out to me in in support not from a negative standpoint. I've had a hard time of how to respond, Damon and Shies. I've had a hard time of, of, of what do I say back? And do I just say thank you? Or do I use this as, as, as sports coaches say, a coachable or a teachable moment? Um, I've had colleagues reach out to express their, their frustration, their sleepless nights, and not knowing what they think. And all they know is that they want to say that they support me and they support where where we could be going as, as a nation if we get our, 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 everybody on the same page. But my response back, and I want to get your take on this, it has been, don't tell me, tell your family and your social circles. Now, I don't know if that's me being a little bit too Malcolm over Martin, but um, <laughs> I, I just feel like for white folk to tell black people, like, we're with you, I appreciate it. I don't want to downplay that. But if you want to make some changes and make some moves and you want to shake, Tell your mama, your auntie, and your cousin them because that means a lot more to me personally. I think you're onto something, man. That that's that's true. And I've gotten more notes and text messages in the last two days than I ever have, at least since my boys were born. So that'll tell you about the volume of of thank yous and I never knew and mm -hmm. oh my gosh, why didn't you say anything before? It's been a whole wow. array of, wow. of responses and 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 that's fine, but. But I will say this, and, and to that I, I agree that we do have to see what happens next. It's one thing to send a text message. It's another yeah. thing to say, you know what, I'm going to get my, my fingernails dirty now and, mm -hmm. and dig into this and, and try to rectify um, these wrongs and inequities. It doesn't mean that, and, and this, is what, this is the point I want to make. I think white people are, are they carry their own guilt, undoubtedly, and questions about white privilege, and they don't want to be accused. And these are, in many places, these are good people. Mm -hmm. these, these are good folks. Yeah. But I do think that there's a, probably a fear of being saying, well, well what, what did I do? Um, and it's not about what you did, it's about what you can do. And, right. and, I, and I hope that, and I think that many of them will, and that many of them are struggling with how to help, but, but 
I think it's the time for being kind of comfortably, you know, ignorant or naive is past and that it's one thing to send a text and now it's time to to really dig into the issues and, and, and find some solutions. You made a great point of of people, some some people interpreting this as an attack on them as though this is their fault, strictly because they're white. Um, but I, I'm really encouraged by the people who are seeing this as an opportunity to listen, to see what they can do, make a change, and hopefully that can snowball into something, like you said, that's able to be sustained. I'm just proud, and I'm I'm super proud of the fact that for the first time in my history as an individual, people are actually having a conversation about race in America. People are questioning the, the statements, the inflammatory statements made by um, federal and local government officials. Um, they're, they're looking to take matters, um, I don't want to say into their own hands individually, but collectively into their hands. And that's one of the more exciting things that I've seen is the fact that when you look back at the race riots in history, it's always been whites versus blacks. Mm. And for the first time in history that I can think of, it's a collective cornucopia of, of ethnicities that are fighting for the same thing. And it's, it's one of the more exciting things I've seen. And it gives me goosebumps, too, to see not only within the United States, but global as well. You're seeing um, protests in Paris and Japan and all over the world of people who are looking at us and recognizing what is happening to Black people. And I think that's so powerful in in history. I've never been through something like this in my lifetime. Um, and it's just, it's exciting to see people coming together and, and truly fighting for Black people, whether you have brown skin or not. You know, I wonder, guys, if part of this is that so many people are home and they're having conversations with family members. Because of this pandemic, a lot of people saw the video of the murder of George Floyd. They saw it. They saw it. They, they had a visceral reaction to it. It wasn't just that was, yeah, it wasn't something that wasn't tangible. This was, this was in front of us and, and, and we've been forced to confront this. And Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, I mean, these stories, it's like back to back to back. This has been front and center. And, and to hear the reaction of, yeah. of non-Black people, it's, it's, it has surprised me. I want to bring it back to golf before we wrap, Damon, because to date, the PGA Tour is yet to say anything regarding this. And I've seen, you know, various players, Tiger Harrell, of course, and even Ricky Fowler. I saw 1,200-something comments on Ricky's recent <laughs> post. Um, what's your take on the PGA tour silence amidst this, you know, social unrest? Well, I've, I can tell you, I've done some reporting, uh, actually spoke to some folks over there. The sentiment was they didn't want to release a statement like everybody else was releasing a statement. Hmm. Um, I got a hold of a memo and in fact wrote about it on golfchannel.com that, that Jay Monahan, the commissioner sent to his staff and sent to the players, and I'm willing to share it here, that he was having conversations with African-American leaders, and, and he was listening. He, he, he said he didn't have the answers, yeah. but that he wanted to be a part of the solution, and that he didn't want to have a knee-jerk statement. He wasn't ready to put one out, but he wanted to use this time to close his mouth and open his ears and admit that he didn't know the answers. Mm-hmm. And his response from those leaders that he spoke to is this that's okay this is a good first step that to have you in the room virtually 
or, or literally is, is an important first step. So that's, that's my reporting. That's, I'm leaning again, the optimist in me is leaning on that, that I'm hoping that this powerful, wealthy PGA Tour, which gives so much money to charity and, and has the most remarkable retirement program for its players of any company on the planet, uh, and has this incredibly wealthy FedEx Cup playoff throughout the season can can really do something powerful here. And and so my hope is that Jay Monahan and the folks in Pontevedra are really putting their minds together, talking to some people, CEOs in the African American community, uh, the handful of Fortune 500 leaders who are African American. There aren't that many. I believe it's four, but that they are really asking some tough questions and looking inward. Um, before releasing a statement. That's, my, that's been my reporting, and that's also been my wish. I will admit that. The one thing I will ask you before we wrap is, what's the narrative you're telling your children about race in America? You know, we've gotten them books on Martin Luther King. We've had conversations about race in America. They're, my boys are like puppy dogs. They, they live in the moment. They, they kind of want to know where their football cards are and when they're going to have their cheeseburger to eat. So <laughs> we, we don't. We don't get much deeper than that they should be proud of their heritage, their biracial heritage. Uh, they should know about it. They, they know who their late grandfather was. They know who their grandma is out west and their, and their, uh, their mom's parents who live in Hong Kong. They, they know their heritage. They're learning their heritage. They're learning of the, the complications of race in America, but on a very elementary level. The main thing we say, and we say it at dinner, um, I would say maybe a couple times a week to just be proud, be proud of who you are, be a good person mostly. Uh, and I say, Hey, what a special opportunity. You come from, you know, African-American heritage. It's strong. Chinese heritage. It's strong. Be, be proud of who you are. Um, and, and, you know, obviously have your eyes open, but mostly it's about being proud, standing up, being a good person and, and being, you know, strong and in, in your faith and who you are and being proud of who you are. That, that's my message at this point. I love that. It's so important, like you said, to know who you are, know your history, be proud of who you are today. Um, in the golf industry, you know, we're proud to see you on TV every day. And again, a lot of black voices right now speaking out, non-black voices speaking out about this, which is so important. Thank you for sharing your perspective. Yes, yes, yes. Thank, Thank you, you, Damon. We appreciate you know, your time. On Good Morning Drive, thank you for sharing this important topic too, because it, it definitely needs to be heard. Thank you, Doug Shine. Thank you, fam. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's thank it for this week's episode. You know where to find us. Shy, let them know. Birdiesnotbs.com or on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at birdiesnotbs. Send us your questions. Uh, we're here every Thursday. So Yeah, we want to hear your response. We want to know your questions for us as well as Damon. And Damon, how do we get a hold of you? You can hit me up on Twitter or Instagram, Damon Hack GC. I've also launched a wine Instagram page at Goats Ooh. and Grapes, greatest of all time. And grapes kind of intersection of sports and wine. Oh, love I love that. All wow. right, well, we're gonna have to get on that because Cheyenne got a, she got a, uh, a, a drink right now. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Damon, and thank you, Cheyenne, and um, you know all the best to both y'all. Let's continue this good fight because we're gonna come out on the other side much, much better. <laughs>